Turn to 1 Corinthians 16. This, uh, it's interesting. We, uh, when we kind of uh, work up the preaching schedule, we don't necessarily look at scriptures and say, oh, I want that Sunday or this Sunday. We, we mainly look at our schedules and we say when we're going to do things. And I've been amazed at how many of the, the, the pieces of scripture that I've been given have been just really hard and fun and very good for me to deal with. And so I say that to you today to let you know that even though you see that I'm standing here on high above you in the floor, I want you to know that I by no means see myself like that in its spiritual way. I am just like you. I'm a fellow journeyer and struggler. And the scriptures that we have today that we have to look at and deal with, I guarantee, as almost all of them are, 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 are sometimes a struggle. They're difficult to hear, sometimes these truths. Paul is standing in front of his, of his uh, people, of the people of Corinth, who have had a horrendous journey of faith. They have been everywhere, and he is doing something that everyone here in this room has probably had the luxury of having had done to them, which is when, you, when somebody looks at you and says, okay, out of everything that we've covered, here's what I want you to know. Boom, boom, boom. Here's the instructions. Boom, 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 right? And that's what Paul's doing. Paul's taking all 15 chapters, 16 chapters of all this crazy stuff that's taking place in this church. People all over the place and how they think and do and what they believe and theological issues and social issues and moral issues, all kinds of things. And he's saying this. So look there at verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 16 and look there at... Uh, verse 13, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. I'm just going to handle two scriptures here today, and I won't even be able to get to all of those. But in verse 13, he finally does this, this kind of like this military commander. He charges his troops with these imperatives, and he says, look, in the first, uh, right there in 13, be watchful, he says, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And then he says in verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. Okay. This concept of be, be watchful is a concept that's all the way through the Scripture. You'll find it in all kinds of places. And it is very interesting when you think about it, why it's there. In Mark 13, 33, it says, be on your guard, keep awake, it says in Mark 13, for you do not know when the time will come. In 1 Thessalonians 5, the writer says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. A few weeks ago, I was traveling to Florida and... I was sitting there and hoping for nobody to sit next to me, and this gentleman came forward, businessman, and sit next to me, and as soon as he sits down, I'm telling you right now, as soon as he sits down, press the button, seat back, just unbelievable sawing of logs. So horrific, the whole plane, like people in the other planes on the tarmac were looking at us. That's, that's an exaggeration. And it was, 
it was, it was, but it was very loud, and I was very kind of perturbed. I'm more perturbed that people were looking back and thinking it was me. God forbid that I'm a snorer. Well, we get going, and you know, the, the, you know, the, the stewardess has to come out, and she goes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Delta Flight such and such, and if you'll take out your cards in front of the seat, I'm going to walk through your flight instructions. And so she begins to read this, and I look across the aisle, and right across the aisle is a lady that's doing this, picking out the card. No, she actually did it. Like, she was doing what she was told to do. She's picking out the card, and she, she's looking at this, at the stewardess ever kind of trying to follow along, you know? And I, I thought, it's, this is weird. A study in contrast. This dude here, this, this lady here, I'm all in, right? There's a, there's a concept that I want you to get today because it f- ties in with this idea of what it means to be watchful. And one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you today is, would it be possible for us as children of God to literally sleep through the entire flight of life? Which one more describes you in your spiritual life? Are you more like the lady across the aisle that grabs the instructions and wants to hear them and can't believe she's getting it? Or are you more, more like the dude sitting beside me, table back, you know, seat back, and just kind of snoring through? Would it be possible for us to literally go through weeks of our lives that we, we are in spiritual slumber where we're sleeping? Is it? Jesus is facing his darkest hour in Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says to his disciples this. He says, well, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. And he he says this. Listen to what he says. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus goes off to pray, and he falls to his face, and he prays his most horrific prayer on earth. He prays, my Father... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he says maybe the most phenomenal one word in all of the Bible, nevertheless. Because that was the word that changed everything. Not as I will, but as you will. And it was after this prayer that Jesus went to the cross to die for us. But he came to his disciples and he found them what? Sleeping. And he says to Peter, poor Peter, so you could not watch watch for one hour? Has anybody ever rebuked you to the point where you felt like liquid that wanted to go into the core of the earth? Jesus had a lot of those liquid moments with Peter. So you could not watch for more than one hour, and then he says it again. Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Y'all know it. Well, let me ask you something. If Jesus is Jesus and Jesus is God, he's triune God, why would he look at Peter and the other disciples and say, watch? What are they watching for? What, 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 what is he saying? Why would he say that to them? After all, if he's God too and he knows all the, all the prayers, why would he say, well, pray for me? 
But what would they be watching for? What is Paul meaning when he's saying, be watchful? You see, one of the things that Jesus understood very clearly that you and I are always in limbo about is this. This place that you live in and I live in right now is not our home. It's a hostile country. Do you get it? Do you get it? So when Jesus says, watch, he's saying a lot more than just watch. Look at the birds of the air. He's saying, no. He's saying, this is a hostile place that you live in. Be careful. Be vigilant. Stand guard. Be alert. Wake up to what's going on in your world, in this place. That's what he's saying. And yet the disciples, oh, the sleepy disciples, just like us. Yet the disciples were asleep the most important hour of Jesus' life. One writer said this, and I love this because I think this is so true of my life. I think it's true of every one of our lives. One writer said it like this. Either the, the disciples underestimated the danger or they overestimated their strength. Think about that. Is that what was going on? Either they underestimated the danger of what was going on in the garden or they completely overestimated their strength. Ah, no problem. If something happens, we'll take care of it. We're disciples. Dude, come on, man. We're powerful. Miracles. And I think we do. This is, it, 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 this is one of our problems. I mean, there's, there's not too many people that I talk to that understand the danger of living in culture. We all, well, I'll tell you what we want to do. We want to talk about how cool it is to live in culture and how great culture is and how we can fit into culture and look like culture and talk like culture and gather values from culture. Oh, I know I'm in people's house now. I'm going to get in trouble. What's the matter, dude? You don't like musicians? You know? Is it possible, though? Let me go back to my question. Is it possible? Is it possible that, that you're a sleepy disciple and so am I? Is it possible that weeks go by on end that we sleep? Is it possible that weeks go by on end that we have completely underestimated the danger? Is it possible? Is it possible that we completely overestimate our strength? I don't meet too many weak people here in Nashville. I meet a lot of strong ones. Are we sleeping through? I thought about this a minute ago. When I was but about those instructions, as that lady stands up and gives those instructions on the plane, I thought, am I sleeping through the instructions? After all, I've, I've been a Christian for a lot of years, man. I got, I'm like armor. I got armor. I got all kinds of armor on stuff. I got all kinds of experience and wisdom. I'm a pastor. Huh. I'm special. Could I, be, could I actually be sleeping through the instructions? I mean, could, am, I, am I a person that's like, when, when I sit down and some of my friends say this to me, I'm going, oh, what are you talking about, dude? I've heard that 158 million times. Well, maybe God wants me to hear the 158 million one, and then that one will be the one that makes sense. But, you know, I don't want anybody to tell me anything, right? Because, you know, God forbid, I don't, I don't need to be reminded of everything. I'm a, I'm a computer. I get it all. 
That's called strength. That's called overestimating your strength. I think that many of us are sleeping through the instructions, especially for those of us who've been doing this for a while. And I want to recapture a lot more of what that lady had across the aisle for my life. Michael Horton is an author I like to read, and he talks about this when he talks about truth and instruction. He says this. He says, we cannot live without a script. We must accept the fact that if we are not transformed by the renewing of our minds by God's word, we will be conformed to the pattern of this world's thinking. I think that's so true. And all of us here think that we, we, don't, we don't have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in God's word. We're going to be transformed by reading every book other than the Bible and spending time with all kinds of people so that we can share our hearts with them. But there's a transforming nature that only comes from the word of God. Let me stop there and give this advertisement real quick. I'm sorry, this is, come on, this is my people here. I can, I can say stuff. For those of you that are looking to know how, I've said this to you before, but you don't listen. Listen now. I've, for those of you that are looking for how to discipline your children, stop going to everything you're going to. Go read the Bible. Read Proverbs. Read it. Study it. Study discipline. Study how God disciplines us. Do you know that God disciplines us? Do you know that? It's in Hebrews. I get discipline all the time, and I need discipline. Okay, that's enough of an advertisement. Let me finish this quote. We must accept the fact that if we are not transformed by the renewing of our minds by God's word, we will be conformed to the pattern of this world's thinking. Although its script is weak, its character shallow, and its plot empty, the world has the advantage of powerful methods of indoctrinating us, complete with celebrities and surround sound. At least in democratic nations, this conformity is not enforced by armies but by the market with its subdivisions of schools, entertainment, and advertising. It may not catechize us at gunpoint, but it relentlessly bombards us and wears down our defenses. Let me finish up the last piece there. Let me talk to you about this last first piece. In Greek mythology, there is a, 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 a story told about the cave of Morpheus, for those of you that are read, have read Greek mythology. The cave of Morpheus was the place where when you walked into this cave, you found yourself suddenly overcome by sleep and you lay down and you began to sleep deeply and dream. And here's what I want to share with you today. The world and our culture is the cave of Morpheus. And slowly sometimes, sometimes quickly, we wander into this cave only to be anesthetized to go to sleep and forget the fact that we're of another kingdom. A young lady came about three or four weeks to my office. She begins this unbelievably horrific litany of the wounds and scars in her life. It was terrible to hear. But here was the killer of the whole thing when she said this statement. She said, how in the world did I ever end up here? Some of you thinking like that today? 
Was she sleeping? Was she sleeping through the flight? Paul says, be watchful, be vigilant, wake up, be on your guard, and whatever you do, do not underestimate the dangers out there. Calvin says it beautifully when he says this. He orders them to be watchful so that Satan might not take them by surprise when they are off their guard. Did you get that? He orders them to be watchful so that Satan would not take them by surprise when they're off their guard. The devil prowls around like a roaring what? Lion searching whom he may devour. That's the devil's mission. And I think my point to us today is this, and Paul's point to the Corinthian church is, we've got to like amp up the wattage of this watchful idea over our lives than we ever have before in who we're relating with and who we're dating and the places we go and how we're thinking and the values we look at. I mean, all kinds of things. I know I sound like some whatever Baptist preacher giving you some legalistic sermon. Who cares? Here's what I want you to know. This scripture is important for me probably more than any of you because I'm going to tell you this. I am anesthetized by culture. I believe it's okay for me sometimes to go with my buddies and I can have a few, right? And suddenly the people that are walking in there, I'm going, wow, this, maybe this isn't a good place for me to be. Bible-believing, born-again Christian, husband of four, pastor. <laughs> Put it all together, baby. Come on. Right? And that's what I'm asking you to do. Put it all together. If you're sitting there thinking today, this is above me. I don't have to be watchful. God watches over me. I'm protected. Good grief. Come on. My buddy was doing a cross-country trip to see his girl. Dave said last week, we'll, we'll do everything for love. You know, we'll cross, you know. So his mom looks at him and says, okay, take the, but here, pr- promise me, because I need, you know, when you're young, you believe you're immortal and you can do everything. So she says, she says to him, when you get sleep, when, I know you said you're going to drive through the night, but just don't drive through the night, night. Here's the credit. Here's my credit card, and just pull over and get in the hotel. So he says, yeah, Mom. First mistake right there. Total tone, attitude, yeah, Mom. He didn't plan on doing that. He was going to drive through the night. Here's how he described the story. Driving through the night, 2.30 in the morning, all he says to me is he begins to smell things. He smells burning he, he, he had fallen asleep at the wheel. He wakes up and looks, and on the side of the road in Iowa, thank God somebody had put a rail down the middle of it because his car had gone all the way to the rail, and, and hit, the driver's side was just going along the rail, sparks flying up. So he's this close, and he sees the sparks and smoke. Pulls off to the side, right? Looks at it. The, car, the whole left side of the car is completely destroyed. Are, are we asleep at the wheel? What, let me ask you this. What are you smelling? Is it, or does anybody else in your life have the power to say, hey man, this smells like smoke. This is not good. We need to pull over. 
Last thing. And I can only get through two. Sorry I can. Let me, let me spend time on this. I love the idea of the, the concept that we would learn what it means when Paul's saying be watchful. Such an important instruction for them because they live such cavalier lives and that's kind of what that's all about. But Paul says to them here, he says, stand firm. He says, stand firm. The second thing, stand firm in the faith. I love the third one, act like men. I need to really have a man session on that. It doesn't mean you can act like women. Come on, that's what Paul's talking about. But I'd love to talk to the men about acting like men. That'd be fun. Okay, anyway. The Corinthian church was having a hard time, follow this now, the Corinthian church was having a hard time standing firm in anything. See if this relates to you. They were constantly teetering on this truth and that error, and they were moving in and out of what Paul was preaching. What was Paul preaching? Paul was preaching Jesus crucified, Jesus Christ crucified. Paul was preaching gospel. And like a teenager who can't decide on the right outfit on a Friday night, they can't decide on the right outfit for their lives. They, can't, they don't know if it's, it's Jesus Christ here and it's this guy's teaching here and it's, well, we can do this here and it's all, it's all over the place. And Paul has to remind them over and over and over and over and over about their faith. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, Now I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. You stand in the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised. Paul is saying, no, this is the outfit. Clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ and his gospel. Paul was trying to get them to recover their focus on the drama that centers on Christ. And in order for them, for, in order to, for them to do that, they needed to find their story in God, right? So what is it, I thought, what is it that will keep us from teetering on truth and error? What is it that will allow us as people here to stand firm in the faith? What, what could we possibly think about? And I, I, I want to give you an oxymoron, and here's what it is. Think about standing firm like this. How about standing firm in our radical helplessness? Do you get the oxymoron? Do you get how the two cancel out each other? Because when we think of standing firm, we think of all these things that we've got to do in a way to make this thing happen. And what I'm trying to talk to you about is stand firm in the fact that you are radically helpless to do anything. There's a phenomenal Puritan quote that I love that says this, a holy despair in ourselves is the ground of true hope. It's difficult, for, um, it's difficult to talk and, uh, to strong people. Did you know that? And we all so badly want to be one. We stand firm in the fact that we can't control our lives or anyone else's. Did you hear what I said? I learned this lesson my first teenager. I'm on number four now, teenagers, and so it's a quad lesson for me. But you know that I learn this lesson every day, and it's a horrific lesson, that I can't control anybody. Did you know that? I thought my kids, when I raised them, I could actually, I, they could actually escape the fall. They're not going to be sinners. I'm going to make them perfect little Truman Show people. 
perfect little robots that they just do everything great and wear great outfits. And when adult looks at them, they say, hey, and they go, what's up? Right? No, it's true. No, it's true. It's, it's really true. Many of us think that. We're going to control things. No, we stand firm in the fact that we can't control anything. That God is in control of everything. We stand firm in the fact that we don't have the answers. Hey, guys, stand firm in the fact just for one Sunday that when you go back home with your wife, you don't have the answers on how to fix your marriage. Just say, well, I'm just kind of an amoeba today. I, I don't just standing firm in my amoeba-ness. I'm just kind of a liquid. I don't know. I, 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 I don't want to fix anything. I, I just want to be with you. It might work. <laughs> it might. Just think about it. Because men, I'll tell you what, men, they got, they got, it, all, they got it all covered. They, all, they knew all the outlines, especially those of us who are, you know, we, we've done schooling. We got, all, we got all the ways to do it. No. We stand firm in different things. We stand firm in the fact that all of our reasoning won't provide the answers. And all of my reasoning and all of my book finding and all of my, my reading and all of my internet searching won't heal me and it won't help me. We stand firm in the fact that the drama isn't about us. We stand firm in the fact that we are radically helpless and radically weak disciples without this Jesus that Paul is talking about. The girl that came into my office, she needed, <laughs> I can't, you want to talk about helpless. The people, I just can't, I can't, you guys, I, I'll just confess this to you. Did you know that this is like one of the few jobs in the world that anybody asks you to do that you, I can't do it? Think about it. There's people that come to me that literally want something from me that I would never be able to give them in 50 million lifetimes. And it's this, that I can put you back together. Do you understand the pressure of that, number one? Do you understand the horrific nature of that? Do you understand how screwed that is theologically? I work for a healer. I work for a redeemer. People need to hear me speak of a name that's not mine. My name has no power to do anything. The name of Jesus is the name that has the power. Hear it, my friends, and hear it crystal clear because it's important. They showed this, this guy that's being saved. I'll close with this. They showed this, this dude that had been boat wrecked. You know, his ship went down and all these people are in the water and these seas are unbelievably high, like 20, 30 feet high. And he, you look at him and you go, you, you know, you look at him on the screen and he's like a, he's like a sand, a piece of sand big. You know, because the ocean's is huge and this, this big freight comes up. And they begin to throw the buoy out to help the folks. And he's flailing in the water. I think he thinks he's going down. He's wondering why he can't, you know, every time they throw it out there, he swims fast for it and somebody else grabs it. And finally they give him the buoy. He gets up, gets up onto the boat and they, they kind of close in on him. And, he, and the, guy, the guy goes up and he grabs a hold of the dude who threw him the buoy and just begins to kiss him. Just all over the place. Oh my gosh, I'm rescued, right? 
That's you and I. And that's what Jesus needs to do for me all the time. All the time. I'm helpless. I need you, Jesus. I need you to do all the work that you can do in my life, in every area of my life. I submit to it. Do it. You're the answer. You're the answer. Okay? A friend said this. Listen, my friend, your helplessness is your best prayer. It calls from your heart to the heart of God with greater effect than all your uttered pleas. He hears it from the very moment that you are seized with helplessness, and he becomes actively engaged at once in hearing and answering the prayer of your helplessness. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for sending us um, your son who speaks such redemption and wholeness over our brokenness. Lord, we claim the name of Jesus in this church today. Um, Especially, Lord, we want to pray for college students who are here today, maybe to begin their year the first time. I pray, Lord, oh, Lord, I pray. I pray that you'd protect them. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the wisdom to be watchful that you would give them the strength to stand firm in their helplessness, that the only source of strength that they would ever claim would be you. Lord, I pray they'd be that humble. I pray we all would. We pray this in your name. Amen.